Good morning, Impact City. Good morning. Thank you, worship team. We are so excited that you're here today. It is March 21st, and um, we're grateful for God's goodness and for his mercy in our lives. Um, recently, I heard of a couple of pastors that were texting, and, and one sent a text at the beginning of March and said, Welcome uh, to the 15th month of 2020 and we said we refuse to believe that we refuse to believe that we believe that God's goodness is on us we believe that his favor is on us and we believe that there are great days ahead it doesn't mean that they're days free of challenges and free of struggles but we do believe for God's sovereignty and God's provision over our lives we can clap our hands to Jesus for that we choose we will be a church that chooses to praise him in the midst of it all. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad. We will have a great year. God's goodness will be on us. Yes. There's, like I said, we're not absent of trouble, but God is with us. All right. John chapter 13. I'm so excited once again to welcome you. John 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then you can take your seat. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Please be seated for just a few moments. The habit of humility. The habit of humility. Part of the ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu's timeless quote states, watch your actions, they become your habits. And watch your habits, they become your character. Our habits can define much of who we are and who we evolve and who we become. A study conducted by Duke University not too long ago noted that 45% of all our daily habits are automatic. We do them without even thinking of them. That's almost one out of every two minutes that we are spent doing something that we are not even aware of and we're not even catching. Another study said that 43% of everyday actions are done while we are thinking about something else, while we're doing something that while we're thinking of something else. So the question leads us, or this leads us to ask the question, what are our, where are our habits leading us? Where are we headed? What decisions or what habits are present in our life right now, and what direction are we going because of those? Humility was seen in the life of Jesus, and I do believe that as believers of Jesus, and as Christians in the 21st century, that we ought to demonstrate humility. And it ought to be part of not just what we do, but part of who we are. 
I'm wearing this beanie, even though it's going to be 80 degrees later today, not the beanie, this hoodie, um, because it says something significant of who we are as a body of believers. It says saved people serve people. We have the privilege, we have the opportunity to serve, and it is something that we do not take lightly. Humility was seen in the life of Jesus, and I believe that it should be evident in ours also. We want to be humble. We want to ensure that we are helpful people. We want to ensure that we impact people with the love and power of Jesus and to think of others more than we think of ourselves, to be selfless in all that we do. And today we get an opportunity to learn from Jesus Christ and an example that's noted in John chapter 13. Last week I spoke to you about the characteristic of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and being able to use the word of God as a weapon against the enemy and how that is relevant in our lives today and this present moment. And today we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus as we lead into Palm Sunday and into Easter. And we're going to speak to this morning about what humility looks like and the opposing forces that come against us as humans, the natural forces that we fight to be able to obtain this through God. So today we get to see what Jesus did when given the opportunity, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who humbled himself and conquered death so that you and I could experience abundant life on earth and more importantly in heaven. The God of heaven, he humbled himself for us, for you, for me, and he set the example of what humility and what, of, and what service should look like. The reality is that we have this awesome example of what it looks like through Jesus to serve and to serve and to serve. And the verse of, and verse thir, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, John notes showing the full extent of his love. And later in the chapter, John records saying, this is in verse 14 and 17 of the same chapter, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus, the King of kings, the master, the great I am, he gets down on his knees in the room full of disciples. He gets down on his knees, fills up a basin full of water, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Why was this so significant? Why was this so important? Because the washing of feet was an incredibly lowly act of service because at that point in time, the feet were considered the most unclean part of the body. And here you have Jesus saying, I will wash 
your feet. It's a great picture of, of not only him humbling himself, but of him getting into the most unclean parts of our lives. Amen. I, be, I believe that not this is a, a mirror. The, the physical here is showing something greater that, that there is no place that he will not go. There is no, no part, no dirty part in your life, no filth in our lives here today that he will not go. You know that part in our lives that we will not even touch and that we will not even talk about that we will not even share because we're tainted, because it brings up certain memories and because it brings back certain thoughts. Jesus says, I'll go there. I'll go to the filthiest part when he was born on this earth. The Bible says that there was no room in the inn. So he came into a manger that was full of dung, of camels, of dogs, and of donkeys. But he came into a dirty and filthy place because wherever Jesus comes, he will clean up and he will purify. There is no place that he will not go. He will enter into the filth of my life and into the filth of your life. And he will say, even though you've been hurt, even though you've been damaged, he says, I will come to where you're at. I will come to where you're at. So Jesus, he washes their feet, the dirtiest, most unclean part of the disciples. And there is much to be taken from this example that Jesus demonstrated more than anything, he wanted them to know. He wanted the disciples to know how much he loved them and how much he cared for them. So he took the position not of a master and not of somebody of authority with him, but he took the position of a simple house servant and he washed their dirty feet clean. He did this to show them that no one, no one is too important to get down and to serve one another. Saved people serve people. He did this to show his love and his care for his disciples. And his example in John chapter 13 is recorded for the church today in our time so that we can see and know the heart and the character of our great Savior. Listen to Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2 where he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, Paul is saying, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Paul's encouragement is to the believers to be like Christ. In one, on another occasion, he said, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. For our attitudes to be like his. Even when someone cuts us off as we're driving down the road. For our actions to mirror his. Even when we're done in a way that we shouldn't. On the one hand... We could easily say, yeah, that's easy for you to say, Paul, you devoted your life to this. And, you're, and it's easy for you to say because you're comparing yourself to Jesus. You're talking about the very son of God who did this. But on the other hand, Paul goes on to, to list some important attitudes and actions that you and I should model. He said, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here are some specifics that Paul identifies that you and I can relate to, and I'll go through them quickly. The first thing that he points out in Jesus is to be grateful or to be meek. Or said in another way, do not lord yourself over others. Do not seek authority over others. But then why is this important? Because most of us have a sphere of influence in it that we get to work with on a daily basis or on a frequent basis. Most of us have influence in some point in some area of our lives. And Jesus didn't use anything to his own advantage. He didn't make the disciples wash his feet. No, he said, I'm going to wash your feet. He didn't use his position. He didn't say, I'm better than you. No, he said, I'm going to care for you and I'm going to serve you. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And this is important because we must be grateful and we must be meek and we must be, we must consider what God has given us and what he has entrusted with us. We must be grateful that he called us. We must be grateful that he cleansed us. We must be grateful that he saved us. We must be grateful that he healed us, that he delivered us. We must be grateful that he has positioned us. We must be grateful. We must serve others. He points out, Paul points that he says, what Christ, when Christ laid aside his royal position, he chose instead to become a servant. I will serve you. We get to serve. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's an incredible opportunity. Not out of obligation, but it is our privilege. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus gave of himself, and he, he conversed and he fellowshiped with anyone that would come to him. He gave of himself to the needs of others. Wherever there was a need, Jesus was there. I heard it put one way that there was any time that, that Jesus, Jesus even, even though there was a need present, Jesus would stop what he was doing, and he would go and he would attend that need because he understood that he was there to serve. He understood that he was there to serve. And the last thing is to surrender. The, these things are pointed out in, by Paul in Philippians 2, to surrender. Jesus' humility led him ultimately to the cross. He was willing to surrender and say, there's something greater than me. To the cross, to the death of sinners, while he himself was blameless, while he himself had no fault and no sin, and we're all familiar with the story of, of him coming and giving of himself to us. For he loved the world. But what about our story this morning? What about your story? What about my story? What are we holding on so tightly to that it's hindering us and it's a barrier from us being able to serve to the capacity that Christ has called us? What are our things? What are our wants? What are our desires? What are we holding on to? What are our aspirations that are not allowing us to serve the way He has called us to? Put in another way, what do I need to let go of? And what do you need to let go of to get to a position to where Christ can use us 
and we can maximize our potential in him. Because the truth of the matter is that humility isn't a destination, but rather it's an attitude that we have to choose to embrace. It is a choice. And it's an important attitude because it's a posture and it's a way of living to God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, hearing with one another in love. Micah 6, 8 says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Romans 12, 3 says, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed in each of you. Matthew 23 and 11, Jesus himself said, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. Humility is of much value to our lives as Christians, and it is evident through the life of Jesus. Yes, we know that in a number of different times and places in the Bible, it shines for us to see and for us to understand, and it speaks to us, it challenges us, it encourages humility and gives warning of the destructive nature of pride that comes to fight humility in a world and in a society that we live in today. The destructive nature of pride. First John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 say, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, notice what he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things comes not from the Father, the Bible says, but from the world. That's it. Three things. Three things. That's all there is in the world. Last week when I spoke to you about the temptation of Jesus when he, is faced, when he faces Satan in the wilderness. That's it. There was three things that stood out. It came down to these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Bible says that he was tested in all points. In all points. That is it. There's different categories, but this is it. Whether you are fight, whatever you are fighting here today falls under one of these three categories. Whatever you're fighting at whatever point in life falls under this. When we look at it from the very beginning of time when sin entered into the world, the conversation between Eve and the serpent, which we know was Satan, the enemy outlined three things to Eve. He said the tree was good for food. The lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and it desired to make one wise. He said, if you eat it, you shall be like God. It was the pride of life. The enemy is not a creator. We only have one creator, and he is the God that we serve. All that is in the world are three things. He just recycles these three things. And it's the problem for us, for you and I today, is, for, is curiosity. That we, we often tend to believe that this will be different than that, but it is the exact same thing. If you have, uh, if you have an addiction to sugar, which some of us here in this place may have, whether it be peach cobbler, whether it be cherry pie, or whether it be Dr. Pepper, whatever it is, it's a different, it comes in a different appearance, but it is the same thing that we're all fighting. It comes in a different manner, but it is the same 
thing, it might present different opportunities for you to be angry. And it may provide different opportunities for you and I to hold resentment and to hold on to grudges that we haven't been able to let go. But it is the same thing when we see Jesus in the third temptation. It is the pride of life. The enemy tells him, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. It's invisible. It can be a secret issue that you and I deal with. It can be something that is not widely known. People will not talk to each other for years because of pride, because someone can't say, I'm sorry, because people can't admit that they were wrong. It is the pride of life, and this is dangerous because the Bible says that pride comes before a fall and and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride gets in the way of us being who we really need to be in God. Pride gets in the way of us serving God and serving people the way we ought to serve him. Pride originated with Lucifer. We see that he said, I will exalt myself and I will be like the most high God. And pride came before the fall. It can plague us. It can paralyze us. It can put relationships on hold. It could put our careers on hold. It could put our spiritual lives on hold. Things like, I can't be happy for anyone else. It has to be me. It has to be me. But I have to get to a point where I celebrate your victory, like if it were my victory. And I have to get to a point where I celebrate your success, like if it were my success, your triumph, like if it was my triumph. I had to stop and praise him, not because of what he's doing in my life, but because God made a way for you. There is something great than just me. It is about us collectively as the body of Christ to know that your victory is my victory and your defeat is my defeat, that we are a body and that we are all in this together. I have to praise him for when he heals you. I have to praise him when he opens a door of opportunity that only he could open for you. I have to praise him when you when you have a breakthrough and when there's victory in your life. I have to praise him because it's not just about me. It is about about us as the body of believers and dealing with it. I'm going somewhere. If it had not, so pride comes as an enemy and dealing with it can be difficult because sometimes it seems that the more God gives us, we tend to think it's ourselves. We tend to think and we, we begin to say, man, I, I've, I've done pretty good for myself and I've, I've had some good accomplishments, but I have to stop and I have to pause and I have to know that it is because he is the source and I have to know that it is because he is the one working through our lives. Some of us here have a story that no one could quite understand because no one knows like we know what he has done for us. And if he hadn't stepped in the way he stepped in, when he stepped in, we wouldn't even be standing here today. But thank God for grace and thank God that when I called on him, he pulled me out of the miry clay. He put my feet upon a rock. He put a praise in my heart and a song in my Come on, somebody here today. God opposes, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may. It's it's him that does the work. It's him. All I have to do is seek him. All I have to do is put him first. All I have to do is pray and believe and trust in him. God, therefore, the Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, quotes the same Old Testament passage that, when, that Peter does when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Both of these two New Testament leaders are encouraging humility, and both men quote the same passage from the book of Proverbs when they describe God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, the ability to serve, that we have to understand that when God blesses you, we have to praise him. When God blesses us, we have to know that it is him. When God blesses us, we have to humble ourselves. That when we get promoted, humble ourselves. That when he opens doors of opportunity, we have to humble ourselves. When he works it out, humble ourselves. When he comes in at the right moment, We have to humble ourselves. We have to know that it's not because of us, but that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. I have to know that it is him. I have to know that it is him that does it and not me for myself. I I can only do so much with my talents, with my skills and my abilities, but if I put them in the hands of the master, there is no limit to what he can do. The more we get, the more we recognize him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I have to acknowledge him. The more we get down, the more he can do for us. The more we get down, the higher he can take us. He gives grace to the humble. Paul spoke five different languages, had the equivalent of two doctoral degrees. But yet when he got to the end of, the, of it all, he said, I count it all as dung. He wasn't full of himself. He didn't believe in himself, but he, would, he understood his purpose in God was. And he said he knew God had brought him to that point. He recognized, he reflected He understood that, and he knew it was because of him. Because of him, we're still standing. Because of him, we're still praising. Because of him, we're still moving forward. Because of him, we're still alive, breathing, making it through. Because of him. So the pride of life comes as a Opposing force as an enemy to what should be a habit of humility in our lives. For, for us to never think, I'm, I'm too good to do that. No, God called us to serve. We'll do anything that we need to. Worship team, if you'll come. Look at what the book of Psalms 138 says, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. The New Living Translation gives it a little bit different. He says, The Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Jesus was humble. He said, I'll serve you. I will serve you. The Bible says, once again, he put, wrapped a towel around him, himself, and he got down 
He said, I, I will take care of you. I will serve you. And that's my challenge here today, that we would be a church that serves in every capacity, in every way, outside of these four walls, that we would serve, that people would know Jesus through the humility that is present in our lives. Pride is incompatible with humility, which means that these are attitudes that you will find away from Jesus. There are heart positions and postures that will keep you at a distance from God that will keep us at a distance. It can destroy us. It can destroy us. And it's so important that the Bible addresses it more than it does many other issues that we find. So this morning, we lay all the pride aside in our lives. We'll put aside everything that has gotten in the way of us being able to serve. Serve our families, serve our church, serve our communities, serve in our workplaces. And we will recognize him and acknowledge him in all our ways. Would you close your eyes right where you're at? Lord, help us to identify with you and how we treat people and how we care for people and how we carry ourselves. Whenever, that we're, whenever we're tempted to think more of ourselves than we ought to, that you would remind us of our position before you. Help me to see others the way you see them. Remind us that the first shall be last. The last shall be first. We thank you for your great example. that you exhibited and that you showed love and care in this incredible manner. God, we come against any pride that there may be in our lives that would want to take root and develop and grow right now in Jesus' name. We declare healing and deliverance over it. We thank you for the freedom that we only experience in you. We thank you for the freedom that accompanies letting go of the pride in our lives. To know that you loved us. To know that you care for us. Help us show the same love. Help us show the same love in Jesus' name. With every eye closed, if you're here today, you've not had the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord, to accept him as your Savior, you have this outstanding opportunity this morning to be able to say, Jesus, I let go of the weight in my life 
I let go of the hurt in my life. And I accept you. I turn to you. I put my trust in you. I put my confidence in you. I put my belief in you this morning. If that's you, with every eye closed, I want to invite you to raise your hand right where you're at. You can raise your hand right where you're at. I see you. You can let us know in the chat. For God so loved the world. He died for you. So here, we're going to pray together. I'd love the opportunity for every single one of us to pray this prayer as we join you. Lord, pray with me. Lord, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you are Jesus, the Son of God, who died for the sins of the world. And I confess you as Lord, Savior, and King of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God some praise for everyone that received him today?